Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Story time. Not far from the park where I served as a ranger was a barred-off property surrounded by thick timber. That served as training grounds for police. It looked like a really elaborate treehouse for gun-loving kids. But no, it was very much for adults and it was for anything but playing. Elevated land, surrounded the setup on all sides so that there was no chance of a stray bullet harming anybody outside the training ground. Rangers see far less firefights than police do. But, Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Most of us do carry a gun. So it came as no surprise that it was decided that myself and my fellow rangers would spend a few hours a day for a week brushing up on our marksmanship. 
My time slot was taken care of by an officer. We'll call Colette. I was puzzled at the fact that it was just me and her, because I knew that I had seen the others being trained as a group. But you eventually stopped trying to make sense of the decisions of your superiors. You know, just like at any other job. Colette was a very admirable instructor. She was patient when she found out that I had the precision of a shotgun. She wasn't much for small talk, but she wasn't a stuffed shirt either. She was just there to do her job and do it politely. As the days passed, I thought my eyes were beginning to play tricks on me. I thought I noticed these deep dark welts on Colette, that hadn't been there the day before. She insisted that they had always been there. But I wasn't so sure. I tried to rationalize it away. As a simple matter of her forgetting to put makeup on. But they were awful to look at. Some of them looked like sunken in wounds. Then there was this awful smell attached to her. And I'm not talking about discrepancy in hygiene. This was the gagging stench of straight up rot and death minus her injuries. She looked as clean as ever. It made no sense that she would smell any kind of way. I kept trying to find a way to bring it up before I would end up vomiting in front of her. But I just couldn't. The last day of training, everyone would be trained together. All groups. All instructors. Colette, was the last one to show up and she had turned an awful color since the day before. One of the other park rangers was now visibly shaken to the point, that he was turning colors himself. Colette acted like she was seeing a long-lost friend when she caught sight of him. And she moved in for a friendly hug. But he recoiled in disgust. Colette shrugged and she shook me by the hand. And led me off to a far corner of the training ground where trees grew very dense together. She told me that she enjoyed her time with me. And that she knew she could trust me with what she was going to show me next. My fellow ranger from earlier raced over to us and was absolutely out of his mind. Stammering and trying to shoot me away from whatever it was that Colette was going to do. I was confused. I told him to shut up and I'd be with him in a moment. This made him worse. He seemed to be getting desperate, he aimed his pistol right at me. He was the portrait of a man who had become completely unglued. Yet another ranger had followed us, suspicious of the other's dramatic behavior. Dramatic ranger took a round to the thigh from suspicious ranger, causing him to drop his pistol. I was grateful. And took the piece before dramatic ranger could get it back. Colette had me move some medium-sized rocks from a depression in the earth. I wasn't surprised to find what I found. There were bones complete with tattered clothing, and a badge that had Colette's name on it. There was a second badge, one that must have ended up there on accident. It belonged to Dramatic Ranger. I looked up at Colette, who was smiling at me. Looking both sad and pleased with herself, and then she vanished. Suspicious Ranger denied seeing Colette at any given time. I grilled him over it. Asking him who had just been taking me out to training all week. He figured I'd just prefer to train by myself. And thought I was just kind of a bam for it. The body indeed turned out to be Colette's. And Dramatic Ranger confessed to be the murderer from a few years back. Others remarked at how he had lost his badge, like he had a way of losing everything else. So it didn't stand out as something unusual for him. He went to prison, which left me the only other person that had actually seen Colette. My drinking habit got a little worse after that. 
I never was the supernatural or superstitious type and there was honestly no way to explain what I had just experienced for an entire week in materialistic terms. So here have a story. Nobody which I understand can confirm or deny the events but me. But it's hands down the most terrifying realistic experience I've ever had with an actual ghost. Of somebody once living. I never did believe but now I firmly do. I was out in the truck once. When something really weird happened. I'm a park ranger, out in Maine, and if you know that state at all it is huge and can be quite eerie in certain places. There are tons of animals out here and one of the most dangerous that I have ever come across are actually moose. They can be very dangerous, but I felt perfectly safe in my vehicle. That was when I heard the screaming. I used to work in California and I would hear the sound often enough. It sounded like a woman dying. As if she was being violently attacked or murdered. But it was in fact a mountain lion, which after all was no less scary to happen upon. But there are not any cougars in Maine. So this really was a woman screaming. I called it in, as there should not have been anybody this far out. Except rangers. And I knew there weren't any female staff out and about that day. I then continued to drive around to see if I could find her. And at this point, I was still sure it was a her and that she was in trouble. I mean why would you think anything else? I heard that high-pitched very female scream. About four more times before I came across to an area that I had never been to before. Not even in my vehicle. There are quite a lot of caves and caverns in this part of the park too. Again, I radioed my colleagues. Said to come join me. A couple arrived and we got out and began looking around specifically the cave openings. We couldn't see or hear anything now. And most of them had rocks or plants growing up around the mouths of the cave. So it would be obvious if somebody had been in or out the way they would be disturbed. All of a sudden one of the newer rangers, a rookie shouted that he had seen something up in one of the larger trees. We quickly ascertained that there was nobody up there. But the thing that the kid had seen was pretty weird. It was a purse. A rather large lady's purse. It was empty, but we couldn't think of a single way that it could have gotten that high up. And so far into the branches. We kept searching but never found anything. There were no women reported missing, no purses reported missing. It was just another mystery to add to the ever-growing list of weird stuff that happens out in the woods. One of the most frightening things that I have ever experienced was on a nighttime shift as a park ranger. Now to be clear with you. I work in the UK. We do not have many predators, like bears, wolves, pumas, etc. The scariest creatures I have come across are vixens who are in season. They scream like they are being attacked. As they also do when mating, and a badger who appeared out of nowhere and scared the life out of me as he very obviously hadn't missed a meal in quite some time. But, shrieking foxes and fat badgers are par of the course. They might give you a shock when you're out and about, but they won't follow you home. And haunt your dreams. That particular attribute is saved for the faceless man. And I'm not the only ranger to have seen him. My own experience came one night, when I was out on the moor just making a routine patrol of the entire area. 
We don't tend to get many waves, and strays up here. Too cold. Sometimes we do get notified to keep an eye out for the odd runaway. But 99 times out of 100 we never see a thing. It was a particularly bleak night, cold, wet and I was dying to get back to the office for a much needed cup of tea. And that moment of course, was when I saw somebody run past the van. That side alone was enough to shock me, as I rammed on the brake to make sure I didn't hit him. He didn't even seem to notice me. He just kept running alongside the road. At this point I didn't think anything supernatural was happening. It was just some bloke out running. Although that alone wasn't a good sign in this weather. And there was no way you should be on the moor, in the dark. So I started up the van and I followed it. It only struck me afterwards, that I in a vehicle should have easily caught up with him and overtaken a person on foot. But this chap was really fast. When I eventually caught up to him, after a few moments, I pulled alongside and must have been doing around 40 miles an hour. Just keeping pace. I rolled down my window and called over to him, asking if he was okay. Suggesting I give him a lift home. Then he turns and looks at me. Well, I presume he was looking at me. You see, he had no eyes or face. It was just a blur, the man himself seemed corporeal. He wasn't transparent or anything. Like I would have presumed a ghost would be. Everything about his body looks real and solid. He just didn't have a face, just a head. With a fuzzy blurry pixelation instead of facial features. It was a good job that the road over the moor was totally straight, and I had nothing to crash into. As right then, I was so freaked out that I would have hit something for certain. He seemed to speed up even faster. And then turned off the road and zoomed off down the moor. I'm not embarrassed to say that I was terrified right then. And raced back to the office as fast as I can manage. I'll never forget walking through the door, and the supervisor taking one look at me and switching the kettle on. I guess you saw the no face runner then. She had said. It seemed that most the team had come across him. At one time or another. He never tried anything, didn't appear to be an omen or anything. But you can never catch him. If you tried to drive or run after him he would disappear. Most sightings of things like this have some sort of legend attached. So you at least can make a guess. As to who the person is, was, and why they're there. I mean it would have made sense if there had been some sort of hit and run accident. And there had been the man killed, but if that was the case it had never been reported. Which in its own right was highly unusual. We never had any reports from members of the public either. It only seemed to be us, the members, us rangers who got to see him. Very mysterious indeed. This was around May 2012. I had just finished grad school and was ready for a break. I was way out in the back country of the Rocky Mountains a ways north of Santa Fe. Just needed to get away for a while and clear my head. My third day out I came across this wildly beautiful meadow and for whatever reason decided I should just cancel my day and stay there for the day. I set up camp, a small tent, and made a little fire. I sit back or relax just taking in all the sights and think about how this is such an amazing place but it's remote. Just a little while before the sun goes down, 
I notice a blaze on a tree maybe 150 feet away. It was so odd because none of the maps had a trail in the area. I went over to it to see if I could find any more or an actual trail. Nothing. Just the one. Then I thought maybe someone marked it as a grave, but how could someone carry someone's body that far? It's too far, not a grave. It was getting dark so I went back to my fire, make a little dinner, and went to sleep. The next morning as I get up and break down camp, I keep catching myself looking at that blaze. It was so weird. Then something catches my eye across the meadow. It was an old box, trunk thing. How did that get way out here? Really weird. I finished packing, put my pack on and walked over to the trunk. Someone had left all this fake old jewelry, coins, cheap Native American trinkets like you could find on a roadside stand, bracelets, so strange. Why would someone bring that crap all the way out here? And then leave it? I tried to follow LNT and wanted to pack it out, but it was about 35 extra pounds of weight so I left it. I wonder if it's still there sometimes or if anyone else has ever found that before me or since? Maybe it was a geocache? Who knows? Whenever I tell people that I am from New York, they assume New York City, but in fact there is plenty of other beautiful places in the state to live. I live out of state now, but during the events of this story I still lived in upstate New York. Anybody who is familiar with upstate knows that there are some absolutely amazing places to hike. About three years ago, my friend Summer and I decided to go on a hike. We drove about an hour or so from our hometown and found a nice long trail to explore. What was nice about our hike was that we found a real secluded place, and dove almost right into the woods. There was a couple of beat-down houses on the road, but nothing that would have stopped us, or made us feel like we were trespassing. Summer was really good about navigating forests, being able to identify poison ivy, and just keeping exceptionally good bearings, which is good because I was absolutely horrible at that kind of stuff. We traversed for about 40 minutes or so off the main road into the woods. It was gorgeous exploring these woods that looked untouched by humans. Then out of nowhere the most peculiar thing happened, 40 minutes off the main road, in the woods, was a bench. But the bench was completely destroyed and dirty. If I were to sit in the bench it would probably collapse. We took photos of this strange forgotten bench, and continued on our journey. Probably about 50 yards away we approached a small chain fence, that seemed to stretch for a couple of yards. Behind the fence were these small huts, that's really the only way I can describe them. The huts were built with wood, metal, wire fencing, street signs, pretty much anything you can think of was used for walls for these tiny little buildings. Pretty creeped out at this point, Summer and I approached the small buildings. They were completely taken over by nature, and inside there was a single chair, some lockers, and tons of decay and debris. We kept walking, and eventually approached these two giant black tubes, that almost looked like pillars of some kind. Against our better judgment we kept exploring, and asking ourselves the question, what is all of this? The compound, or whatever you want to call it, really opened up after the black tubes. There were now dozens of these small little huts. 
Our next big moment of disbelief was in the giant pile of debris that sat in the middle of all these huts. There were telephone poles, all smashed up and broken. But on these wooden beams that lay in the dirt, there was light switches and wire. Whatever this creepy place was actually had electricity at one point. The only thing that gave us some peace of mind was that there was no way anybody could have lived here now. It looked like it had been abandoned since the 60s or something. I only say that because there were statues and trash of items that really looked like that style. We started to look a little bit more in depth into some of these small huts. There were statues of Santa Claus everywhere, religious iconography, and fake flowers. At every turn there was something different and strange. There was a bus, that seemed like it was cut in half, and inside was furnished with chairs, and lights that were completely covered in moss, and vines now. On the far side of the compound was severely overgrown weeds and parked in the weeds was an old truck. Again, this truck had all sorts of weeds, and bushes growing out of the windows and doors. We made our way to what seemed like the end of all this craziness, but then it just got weirder. There were tons of naked mannequins all over the place. They were hanging in trees, in the weeds, half buried in the dirt. They also had no heads, which was deeply unsettling. Coming from the other direction, we saw a somewhat bigger hut than the others. Just to give you a bit on context in case I was not clear, these huts I am describing, are maybe big enough for a small child to live in. They were smaller than most cars. But this one hut, this one was slightly more than double the size, and on the far side of the hut was what appeared to be a hollowed out oil drum. This small building was filled with tons of religious statues, and carnival equipment. Like old circus items. The feeling Summer and I had at this time was that of paranoia and fear. We decided we had seen enough, and it was time to go. As we approached the first set of huts, we heard shuffling coming from within the small compound. We froze completely in our tracks. We were so far off the road, and in the middle of the woods, clearly nobody could be here, but we heard the shuffling. This could have easily been a deer, or any other number of animals that made these woods their home, but her and I both had this same feeling, a feeling of just darkness, and pain. We did not want to wait and see what it was, we decided to move rather quickly, and run from this place. We made it back to the car in about 20 minutes, which is half the time it took to get to get to these huts. We got to the car and were greeted by some cops. The cops told us somebody called in complaint that some kids were trespassing and up to no good. We explained to them what was in there, and even tried to show some pictures, but they were not having it one bit. Basically, they told us to leave immediately if we did not want to get detained, which we both thought was extremely excessive. If anybody out there had ever seen anything like this, any idea what it could be? We thought maybe some kind of home for a circus? Perhaps workers of some kind? The only thing that made it so outlandish was how deep it was into the woods, and how far away it was from any kind of town or city. I have never been back, and I have no desire to ever go back. I am writing this in hopes that somebody has stumbled across something similar and may have some additional information. I had just turned 19, I am currently in my 30s, and was trying to live life to the fullest. 
When I was growing up my mom was super protective and at times extremely overbearing. I was never allowed to go to typical hangouts that the kids my age would frequent. I would say from a small child to at least 16 I spent most of my weekends indoors or in the confinement of my small upstate, New York suburban neighborhood. At 16 I was allowed out on weekends but only if my brother who was 3 years older than me basically babysat me. I would have to tag along with my brother and his friends who were much older than him. I didn't mind, getting out of the house and exploring activities at night was a new experience for me and was a bit liberating not being cooped up in the house. I guess one could say I was a pretty sheltered kid slash teenager most of my life. All this comes into play. Fast forward to when I turned 18. My mother finally let me get my driver's permit and few weeks later I was able to get my driver's license. I guess she realized at 18, she couldn't keep that much control over my freedom. I would go to work, pick up anyone who needed a ride and make any excuse not to come home. Having my car meant the absolute ultimate freedom. It wasn't long after this, roughly about a year later I started to fall into a group of troubled kids. I guess you can say they were the ones society called degenerates and bums. Most of them had a lot of very apparent mental disorders. Couldn't hold any jobs. Most of them had a felony or a run-in with the law. The only consistent thing with them was the copious amounts of random drugs or whatever they could get their hands on that particular night. I fit right in their little group of misfits, mostly because I was their personal chauffeur majority of the time. Boy did that get old real quick. It wasn't long after I started to dabble into drugs myself. I found myself smoking pot almost every night with my new friends. We were the ones literally driving around, drinking beers, smoking weed and blasting our music at 2am. And beyond and not giving a single F about any authority figures or anything for that matter. There were times where I had to elude the police at very high speeds so I didn't get a DUI or my car searched. It became such a rush doing that. I became a certified badass. Or should I say a certified dumbass in such a short amount of time. It wasn't long after that we started getting into more of the harder stuff, X, ecstasy, MDMA, acid etc. All this leads us up to the morning in question. This event literally changed my life. This shook me to my very core. In literally one year, I became a very sheltered teenager to a very cocky, invincible and drug-infused naive little shit. If you have made it this far into my story. Sit back and enjoy the shit show I am able to tell. It was a very foggy, wet and humid August morning. Above as I mentioned, I am from upstate New York. If you want to get a sense of what upstate, New York is like. Woods, lots and lots of woods, backroads and creepy winding woodland roads. After coming down from a night of tripping off psilocybin, or what people call them magic mushrooms my friends, for the sake of the story I shall name them Dave and Ray. Dave was a very tall and lanky and slightly balding red-headed man. He was what I call the faux alpha of the group. He was aggressive and intimidating and just all around kind of a douchebag. Ray on the other hand was the complete opposite. He was a genuinely nice guy, average build and the pretty boy of the group. His problem was always getting arrested for petty stuff. Violating his probation and small things like that. 
This also comes into play as to why we couldn't get the authorities involved. So at about 7am, just as the sun is starting to rise. All of us have now been up all night and coming down from the excessive tripping from the mushrooms that same night. If anyone who hasn't done magic mushrooms. The day after is brutal. Your brain is literally running on autopilot. Common sense apparently is non-existent. You're literally in a zombie-like state. As I am driving, none of my friends or I are conversating. It was a pretty quiet ride. Which is to be expected after having a crazy out of your mind experience that same night. We are all just puffing on our cigarettes and just taking in the morning light. After about an hour of driving on the deeply wooded road and with no destination planned out. I see Dave perk up in the corner of my eye in the passenger seat. He taps my shoulder excitedly and says hey man look over there, there's a random girl walking. Let's give her a ride me being generous by nature. I thought there wouldn't be any harm honestly seeing if this girl needs a ride or needs help. As I approached her I slowed my car down on the quiet, heavily wooded road. We had not seen a single car or even a house in at least 20 minutes. So I wasn't in any real harm or danger slowing my car down. At first glance of this girl. She seemed young but also mature looking. Like a face that has been through some hardships. She appeared to be in her early to middle 20s, amber colored hair that was backlit by the sun and oddly enough dressed kind of casual. Like someone would dress going to brunch or a nice restaurant. Dave rolls down the window and says hey there. Good morning. My friends and I saw you walking. And we wanted to know if you needed a ride somewhere she then turned her body towards my car and I then saw a 8 inch wooden and metal cross with Jesus crucified dangling around her neck. I thought to myself of all people wandering in the deep woods, it's a damn bible pusher seeing how I saw the humor in this situation. I knew any chance of my friend hooking up with her dramatically went down. Just then, in an excited tone she squeals with this almost adorable but sinister grin on her face she says God bless you gentlemen. I asked the good lord to turn my tired legs into wheels and he must have sent you handsome men to the rescue. God is good without any hesitation she opens my back passenger door and sits directly next to my friend Ray. He is awkward and shy around her right off the bat. As I put my car into drive, I adjusted my rearview mirror so it's fixated on her face. I ask her um where do you need to go? She says if you gentlemen don't mind, you can bring me to my house, I would be most gracious, I said. Uh no problem, just let me know where to go, seeing that I have no idea where I am, keep in mind. This was way before GPS and Google Maps, I just had a shitty flip phone with no service. With the rearview mirror directly fixated on her eyes with a now dark and sinister expression on her face she asks. You guys are so silly, fake chuckle. Does anyone even know where you even are? Seeing how this was an oddly unnerving question, almost in unison my friends say no. And I am the odd one out saying yes and then going along with my friends say well, no. She excitedly says. You guys must be really hungry. When we get to my house, y'all can come in and I'll fix you something good to eat. Just then my stomach churns and makes this internal groaning sound, when you're so hungry anything sounds good. I look directly look at her and say, oh yay, we'll see. 
she then throws a evil scorn my way and is not directly looking at me through my rearview mirror. I am not going to lie, it was extremely unnerving. After about 20 minutes of going down random roads and just endless woods. She yells okay in about 20 feet my driveway is coming up. It's very hidden. And I'm warning you guys now. It's at least a quarter mile long as I approached her dirt driveway. The trees were so old and dense it almost acted like a complete sun blocker. It was so dark I had to put my high beams on. Let me tell you, she wasn't kidding when she said her driveway was long. I was honestly surprised to find this random beautiful two-story house literally in the middle of the woods. As I parked my car, the first thing I noticed was how eerily quiet it was. I asked her um do you live her by yourself? Are we going to wake anyone up? She said my mom isn't home, she went to early mass, please come in. With the thought of food in my head. My stomach was louder than the thoughts in my head to leave. And we all started following to her front door. Once she opened her door. She said for us to sit down and the table outside the kitchen with the stools. Looking around her house, it looks like it hasn't been updated since the 70s. Very Brady Bunch-esque. It literally felt like I was in a movie studio set and they precisely nailed the 1970s down to the T but anyways, she then busted out a family-sized version of macaroni and cheese and placed it in the oven. She said I am sorry, I wasn't expecting any guests I hope this is enough for you guys. Should be ready in 30 to 45 minutes. For the next 30 minutes we tried to make small talk with her. For some reason I must have rubbed her the wrong way but she would randomly glance over at me and just not say a word. Just literally look at me for 2-3 to three minutes straight without blinking and just give me this cold expressionless face. About 40 minutes go by and she asks us how old are you guys? We say our ages. 19, 19, 20. She then says creepily I bet you guys would love some wine? Excitedly we all say hell yay. That would be awesome. Just then she goes inside her fridge. And about 10 to 15 seconds later pulls out a labelless glass craft of wine and pours us each a glass. I didn't really question at the time why she wasn't enjoying a glass of wine but then again it was pretty damn early in the morning. After each of us finish a glass of wine each, without asking or a pause she fills up our glasses and keeps topping us off. After the buzzer alarm goes off on the stove she pulls out this amazing looking pan of frozen mac and cheese. But it actually doesn't look half that bad. About mid-plate I felt this immediate uneasy feeling in my body. I put it off as the wine and the no sleep and it being about 8 something m in the morning. Just then in the corner of my eye. I see this car pull in the driveway. It's her mother. It now dawned on me the awkwardness of the situation that we are in and I'm not sure how this is going to play out. As the mother gets out of her car she directly looks at my car and realizes she now has some uninvited guests in her house at 8am. I very fastly chugged the second glass of wine and said hey, I think your mom is home, can I have another glass real quick? She has this awkward but mysterious grin on her face and says of course you can, drink up quick and don't waste it. Just as she finished pouring my glass her mom aggressively opens the door and looks at her daughter and says. Now what in the hell is going on in my house? She furiously says. The daughter then says. Mother. 
This is no way to act in front of our new guests. The mother is scanning us fiercely and I awkwardly bury my face in the glass of wine. And the first thing she does is throws her purse down and comes over to us. And immediately takes away the wine's glasses from us and just throws them all in the sink. When she took the glasses away, I was mid-sip. As the glasses smash into pieces and tiny projectiles in the sink she looks at her daughter and says. What the F are you thinking? I told you to never give anyone that wine. She hysterically yells to her daughter. The daughter then says but mother our guests were thirsty. After the mother and daughter continue to fight I tried innocently to intervene. And said ma'am. I know how this might look, let me explain. My friends and I had seen your daughter walking on a sketchy road and offered her a ride. Your daughter was nice enough to offer us a bite to eat and we were going to head out after the mother looks at me and says. I want you and your friends out of my house now. She starts shrieking. Just then the daughter pulls the mom into another room and they are going at it. I mean they are just yelling at each other. I hear things like we just got away with, inaudible. And also when you give them that wine are you crazy? While trying to eavesdrop and also look at my friends and start mouthing we have to go. Now. My friends look at me equally scared and Ray says. Bro I want to get the hell out of here but I can't feel my legs. I think they are asleep. My other friend Dave says bro I think she put something in that wine. My whole body is numb. This wasn't just wine I guess me being bigger in size and more meat on me, I had only felt a moderate amount of numbness. It was almost like the feeling you get when you're on the toilet doing your buizess and you're 30 minutes deep in reddit stories and you try to get up off the toilet and you have to wait for the blood to return back to your leg to regain feeling. It was like that. But the feeling didn't immediately come back. If anything. My body felt like it was starting to get early stages of paralysis. I knew then that if we didn't leave, all three of us would be completely immobilized. With the biggest thrust in everything I had, I was to pick myself up. My friend Dave was also able to get himself up as well. But Ray, was unable to get himself up. So Dave and me reached grabbed his pant leg above the knee and carried him off the stool. It was this moment I realized the gravity of the situation. This was never about the wine. The mom was just not only upset she about the wine. Something more sinister was going on. This went from awkward situation to a legit horror movie plot. All of a sudden the mom and daughter stop yelling at each other because I'm guessing they heard the stools being moved around and the commotion going on as we are trying to leave. And the daughter flies down the flight of stairs and sees us heading out, literally carrying our friend out. And angrily says now where the f do you guys think you're going? This seemingly soft-spoken, 8-inch wooden cross wearing child of God became demonic real quick. I said um we are just getting some air and maybe have a cigarette. She then says furiously. Y'all can't leave. I haven't even showed you the best part. You can't leave. She cries out. Just then she goes in front of us and is now blocking the front door. This 120 pound female thinks she's going to stop my 250 pound, big frame. I told her ma'am please get out of our way. We just want to leave she then laughs in a way I never saw coming she said you fools, once you came in you were never going to leave, this is God's plan. I had the most epic oh hell gnaw rage in me build up.
I had one more burst of energy left in me and before she should even react I dropped my friend Ray and did a Adam Sandler and the water boy charge at her. Instantly crushing her against the door. We both fall to the ground. I tell my friend Dave to get him and Ray to the car while I keep this now crazy lunatic of a bitch at bay. I would never in a million years ever hurt a female. But the gloves were off. My heart was pounding in my chest as more of this poison wine was now coursing through my veins. I can feel my body just want to collapse. But adrenaline is some crazy stuff man. As I'm rolling with her on the ground in her living room, she's shrieking like a crazed banshee and is trying to claw my face. I was able to get in a few shots that seemed to stun her and attempted to get myself back up and in my car to get the hell out of this horror freak show. As I'm trying to leave her mom is screaming at her saying, Cassandra, just let them go, let them go. The daughter said in a snarling kind of voice. No I want him, the others can leave. As I'm now on my feet she is trying to pull me back inside from the open door. Back into her messed up, twisted Brady Bunch looking house. Under normal circumstances she wouldn't have been able to get the upper hand on me but I can feel my numbed body actually get manipulated back inside. The only thing I can do at this point is to grab this weird black looking globe paperweight that is on this retro looking shelf and with a heavy whack and came down hard on her head. I honestly just wanted to stun her. But I guess it wasn't enough. She was still proceeding to pull me back inside and I raised my arms above my head and came down like Thor has briefly taken over my body. She stops trying to pull me inside and almost immediately this fountain of blood just pours from her head. She looks at me extremely stunned. And with her teeth now stained in blood she gasps this was God's will and I said no you're just a crazy bitch. And she collapses almost immediately after that. I fly down her outside staircase, fumble around to get my car guys together. My friends jump in the car and in within a few seconds I am leaving this crazy woman's driveways and just drive until I recognize where I am. Now I can could end the story here but there is an ending. After we got out of that horrible situation. We all go to the safest spot we know. Our nightly hangout spot. A very secured spot near the river where we all go to get away from the world. We all end up passing out in my car. Whether it's from the sleep deprivation or the spiked wine. We easily were passed out for at least 14 hours. Just then we were awoken by a knock from outside my car. I am literally laying in a pool of my own sweat. My heart is thumping because I am thinking it's this crazy girl and she found us. Just then my car door opens opens only to reveal it's our other friend Sean. Sean looks at us and says none of you guys picked up your phones like you normally do. So I figured you guys were down here by the river. He says. And then takes a better look at us and says damn fellas. You guys look like shit. I didn't mean to scare you guys. Come outside. I'll get a fire going and pack a bowl to smoke. After we mentally gathered ourselves we made our way to the roaring fire. Its warm glow gave me a little comfort. And the weed helped me relaxed. A good 30 minutes goes by and none of us has spoken a word. And then Sean breaks the silence and says alright guys, what the hell is going on? You are all acting strange. My friend Ray starts saying in almost a broken sentence almost at the verge of crying says we gave girl a ride. The wine. 
Something was in the wine. I couldn't walk. Sean looks at us and says what the hell are y'all talking about, I said in an aggressive like tone. We picked up this really crazy bitch on the side of the road. Went back to her house. She gave us wine with something in it. Her mom comes home. All hell breaks loose. I barely got out. He starts looking at all of us nervously. Sean says where was this we all said I think around the, town name taken out for anonymity. He starts to visually get upset. Was her name Cassandra? Since I was the only one who heard her name I go to him and say now how in the f did you know that? He looks at the fire and a lump forms in his throat. I used to live next to her. One driveway over. I was 8 and she was 15. She would terrorize me. She would try and get me to do things to her. Her mom found out. She told her mom I was the one being weird. Few years later. She took my cat and took out all his organs and laid them out in my backyard for me to see. My parents thought it was coyotes. She also poisoned my dog. He came in one night throwing up blood. When I was 12 she tried to rape me. I got home from school and she tried to get in my house. That's when I took my father's shotgun and smacked her in the head with the butt of it. We moved a few weeks later. She is absolutely insane. I go to him. Sean. This girl had a 8 inch cross around her neck. What in the hell he paused. Sighs and takes a deep breath. Guys when you saw her this morning. She was walking to go visit her brother I say that's random, so what? He goes you don't understand. Her brother is in the prison next town over. They found two bodies at their house, they were murdered, poisoned I think. Her brother took the fall for his sister and is serving two life sentences. You wanna know why she wears the cross? The devil comes in many different disguises. To this day that comment resonates in my brain. I am not religious but it does make sense. To the crazy woman and her mother in upstate, New York. Let's never meet again. Each year me and one of my closest friends, who we will call Dane go down to visit his grandparents at their cabin in a nice, small peaceful town in the North Georgia mountains. Me, my friend, and his grandpa are all outdoors kind of people so we are always looking for something fun for all of us to do around the area. One night we decided to go explore some trails not too far from the cabin. Now these aren't the kind of trails you're probably thinking of, they really are more a gravel dirt road but a lot of hunters, campers, motorbikers and backpackers use it. We headed out to the trail and right as we pulled up to the trail we were gonna go on, we noticed an older beat up suspicious looking black Chevy SUV with two middle aged men in it parked next to the entrance of the trail. Now even though this is a safe area, drug deals and other kinds of sketchy activity can occur deep in these woods so we avoided going on that trail and decided to head down to another trail about a half a mile down the road. We pulled about 50 or so feet into the trail just outside of view from the road, parked the truck and got out and started our exploration. Our little night hike was off to a great start until we got about a mile and we started to hear a dog bark from probably about 300 feet away. We decided to keep going but the dog just would not stop barking and we didn't know if the dog was on a leash or not and could come attack us so we decided to turn around and head back. 
Looking back I'm really happy we turned around when we did. When we were about I would say 1000 or so feet away from the truck, we could see a car sitting behind my friend's grandpa's truck running with its headlights on. This instantly made us worried because who would just roll up behind a random truck at 10 at night on an isolated trail and keep in mind you would have had to drive into the trail to see where we parked the truck, it was not visible from the road. We stood there for about 5 minutes trying to see if we could see anybody but since it was so dark and pretty far away it was hard to see anything. Fortunately for us there was a pretty large tree next to the trail we were able to stand behind so there was no way they could see us from where they were parked. My friend's grandpa took these night vision binoculars we had with us to try and get a better look but it was still not much help. We decided to just stand there and wait for them to turn around and leave because there was no chance we were going to walk back with this random car with potential bad people in it sitting behind our truck. After about 10 minutes of just standing there, to my absolute horror the car drives around the truck and starts to head down the trail in our direction. As fast as we could we climbed up this hill right next to us and hid behind a log that was sitting up on the top. A few seconds later the same beat up black Chevy SUV we saw outside the other trail we were originally supposed to hike on comes driving down where we were just standing not even 15 seconds ago. The car had its windows rolled down and started to slow down as it drove past us. Me, my friend and grandpa were terrified our hearts were pounding out of our chests and we were scared these guys would stop and sit there or even worse get out and start looking for us. Fortunately the car just kept driving and never stopped. As soon as the car was out of sight we got out of our hiding spot, booked it back to the truck and got the hell out of there. I know this may not be as scary as some others but to us it was definitely pretty frightening. We don't know who or what those guys wanted. My guess is they had a stash on that trail deeper in the woods and thought we stumbled upon it or something and were out there to confront us or even worse. A lot of things could have gone wrong, we could have walked up to the truck just as they pulled in, what if they came out and looked for us? What if they slashed the tires to the truck? Or what if they turned their headlights off and sat there and waited for us to come back? My friend and his grandpa actually went back in the daytime a few days later to the exact spot where we were hiding and took some pictures, posted below. The first picture is where we were standing looking at the truck and car behind it. Off in the distance you can see our truck parked, that's exactly where we had it parked that same night. Just off to the left is the hill we rushed up to hide from the car. In the second picture you can see where our hiding spot was, after my friend and his grandpa went back, they said we were very lucky to have made it up there successfully as it seemed impossible to do it as fast as we did, especially with all the shrubs and thorns in the way. If we got up there just even two seconds later we would have been seen. I can only imagine what could have happened if we didn't make it up that hill and those guys saw us. There is a place up in Vermont known as Green Mountain National Forest. It takes up around 50% of Bennington County, surrounding the Glastonbury Mountains at its center, and between the years of 1943 and 1950, several mysterious disappearances took place in its deep, dark forests. The disappearances became so prolific that the area took on a new name among frightened locals, 
The Bennington Triangle due to some similarities with disappearances around the Caribbean island of Bermuda. Since that time, the disappearances became an entranced part of local folklore, and to this day, the area's occupants warn against wandering alone in the Green Mountain National Forest. Before the 18th century, the Glastonbury area was mostly uninhabited by European settlers. The governor of New Hampshire chartered the town in 1761, and by 1791, just six families called the tiny community home. Yet today, merely eight residents remain within the ruins of Glastonbury's ghost town. It enjoyed something of a boom in about 1870 when it became a logging town, and as many as 300 timber workers moved into Glastonbury to harvest the surrounding forests. But over-logging of the mountain decimated the trees and eventually led to the town's economic decline. Perhaps the logging damage to the habitats of the local wildlife led to the Native Americans believing that the new industry had disturbed and angered the spirits of the forest. Or maybe the Glastonbury curse was something more entirely more menacing. However, it is tough to discern just how much of what people say about the Bennington Triangle is actually true. Details surrounding the various vanishing have varied over the years, even down to the particulars of those that actually went missing. But what is clear, is that for eons before European settlers ever occupied the area, the local Native American peoples used the area as a burial ground for their dead. Believing that the spirits of their ancestors inhabited the forests, and would curse anyone who strayed too far into the dark and isolated woods, they stayed well away from the area. But the same could not be said for those that traveled from across the Atlantic. One particularly eerie piece of folklore from the Abenaki tribe tells of a rock that ate the souls of all that passed near. Which to them, explained by the woods were so devoid of the typical sounds of nature, such as bird songs or the buzzing of insects, and why many attested to such frightening sensations while hunting near the woods. However there may well be some actual science behind such claims, as geologists say the area has an unusually large amount of sinkholes due to subterranean water erosion. But regardless, the list of those declared missing after venturing into the forests is long indeed. And these are just a few of them. In 1943, a man named Carl Herrick and his cousin, Henry, were taking part in a hunting trip just 10 miles northeast of Glastonbury town. The story goes that one point during their trip, Carl walked off into the woods to relieve himself. Yet after some time, Carl still hadn't returned to the spot they were resting at, so Henry called out through the woods to him, only to receive no reply. For hours and hours his cousin searched for him, but Carl was nowhere to be found. Over the following days, a search party scoured the woods for any sign of Carl Herrick, and eventually a body was found that was believed to be his. But his remains showed bizarre sign of having been crushed by some ungodly force, so badly that Carl's rib had punctured his lung, but there were no signs of anything that could have possibly inflicted such wounds. Henry is reported to have said that the search party found that there were large bear prints around the corpse. But a bear would not have squeezed a man to death, nor would it have left fresh meat to spoil like that, being the occasional scavenger animals that they are. Something must have severely spooked that beat if it left a corpse alone like what? Just two years later in 1945, the Mitty Rivers incident occurred. 
Mitty was a very experienced and hardy outdoorsman, and very few people knew the forests around Green Mountain better than he did. But one day, Mitty was heading up a hunting party in a place known as Hell's Hollow, when he happened to stray a little too far ahead. Soon, it dawned on his fellow hunters that Mitty was no longer with them, but none of the hunters showed any initial concern. After all, Mitty was probably the most skilled hunter and tracker that any of them had ever known. It had to just a matter of time before he found them again, yet no one ever saw or heard from him, ever again. After a long and intensive search of the surrounding woods, the only trace of Mitty Rivers was an empty rifle cartridge that matched up with the kind he was known to use. There was no blood or shredded clothing left behind, no evidence of an animal attack whatsoever, and his corpse was never found. But perhaps the most well-known of all the Bennington Triangle disappearances is the case of Paula Weldon. She was a sophomore student at the nearby Bennington University, and on the 1 ST of December, 1946, 18-year-old Paula headed out into the woods on a short hike intended to relieve the stress of her studies. Paula was wearing a light red jacket, not ideal for a lengthy hike in cold weather, so it is safe to say that she had not intended to be out for a particularly long time. She was last sighted by a couple out for a walk on a stretch of land known as Long Trail. They witnessed Paula turn a corner, but when they reached the same spot, she had inexplicably vanished from sight, and it would be hard to miss such a bright red jacket among the dark foliage. The following day, when her classmates noticed her unusual absence, they informed the local police who commenced a thorough search of the long trail. The search party was a thousand strong at times, even included a number of light aircraft enlisted by the FBI. But still, not a trace of Paula was found anywhere. Paula was by far the most famous case, but the most tragic was that of eight-year-old Paul Jeffson. Paul's mother was employed by the local garbage dump, and on the 12th of October, 1950, Paul accompanied his mother to work since he was off school for the holiday. They didn't intend to stay long at all, so Paul's mother told him to stay put in the truck while she popped into the dump's office to complete a few pieces of paperwork. But when she got back to the truck, Paul was gone. Much like Paula Weldon, Paul was wearing a brightly colored rain jacket that would be almost impossible to miss on the backdrop of the surrounding woods. But when another huge search was mounted, which this time included sniffer dogs from the local police force, nothing was found. It was as if Paul had vanished into thin air. But analysis of local Abenaki folklore found a disturbing titbit of information regarding the wearing of bright colors in the forest. Apparently, it is extremely bad luck to wear anything but dark shades while visiting Native American burial grounds, as it offends the spirits of the dead, a truly terrifying detail to consider. In the same month, October of 1950, a young woman named Frida Langer and her family were on a camping trip near the Somerset Reservoir, deep within the Bennington Triangle. Frida and her cousin Herbert set off on a hike around the area, but less than a mile into their little adventure, Frida took a tumble and landed in a stream. But given they weren't all that far from their campsite, Frida turned back to get a change of clothes, while Herbert waited at the site of her accident for her return. After an hour or so of waiting, Herbie walked back to camp, outraged that his cousin would leave him waiting so long, 
but when he asked after her, he discovered she'd never made it back to camp. Her disappearance was completely unexplainable, and many puzzled over how a girl could possibly vanish over the course of such a short journey. And by this time, the number of inexplicable vanishings meant that the woods had garnered quite the reputation as being mysteriously but undeniably dangerous. It also seems like the power of the Bennington Triangle is not just confined to the woods. James Tedford, a veteran of World War II, was returning to his residence at a VA hospital in Bennington during 1949, after a visit to some of his family in nearby St. Albans. His journey was via a Greyhound bus that held no more than 14 other passengers, but somehow, when the bus arrived in Bennington, Tedford wasn't on board. Yet strangely, not only was his luggage still in the bus's rack, but personal items belonging to Tedford, including a jacket and his ticket, were sitting on his seat in his place. The other passengers were later questioned by police when he was reported missing. But not a single one reported seeing him disembark at any point on the journey, in fact, they had seen him sitting in his seat at every single scheduled stop, just not the one he was due to get off at, Bennington. Since Tedford's disappearance was yet another in a series of mysterious vanishings in the Bennington area, police were eager to get to the bottom of the case as quickly as possible. But logically speaking, they could only settle on one solid conclusion, that Tedford has never boarded the bus in the first place. But this stood in stark contrast to the fact that, not only was his luggage on board, but he had been sighted by many of his fellow passengers. Like many of the other disappearances in the Bennington Triangle, Tedford's case remains totally unsolved to this day. But there must be practical, tangible explanations for such vanishings, even if they seem fairly outlandish. One theory centers around the intense, unpredictable weather patterns that the New England area suffers from. Professional hikers and mountaineers alike insist that the disappearances are down to nothing more than poor weather. Since wind patterns in the area can be incredibly erratic, even those familiar with the area could lose their footing in perilous situations, or suffer from serious disorientation in some cases. However, although this might account for one or two of the missing persons, it certainly does not account for all of them. Many visitors to the area have also reported seeing cougars in the Green Mountain National Forest. These big cats can stalk hikers for long distances while waiting for an opportune moment to strike. Lone hikers are by far the most at risk, especially during the winter when the mountain lion's natural prey is scarce, which also happens to be when the majority of disappearances have occurred. Because they can weigh more than 200 pounds, a powerful cougar can subdue and kill someone very quickly. But a mountain lion would most certainly leave behind traces of their kills, be it bones or shredded clothing, and in most of the Bennington disappearances, not a single piece of evidence of the unfortunate souls has been found. However, another theory, one rooted in mental illness, is much more feasible. One story tells of a bizarre character by the name of McDowell moving to Bennington in 1892, looking for work at a local sawmill. The man was a solitary, quiet soul, brimming with malcontent, and was viewed with suspicion and fear by the other workers. Then, after a few months of floating from job to job, he got into an argument with a foreman, 
and smashed the man over the head with a hammer before slaying another that came to the foreman's defense. The man was ranting and raving as local lawmen cornered him in one the town's taverns, and once he was in custody, he was confined to an insane asylum for the foreseeable future. But the man was wild, violent and cunning. And it didn't take long for him to escape the asylum and escape into the mountains to hide among their many caves and caverns. Some say the horrendous environment of the asylum, the callous abuse of the orderlies and doctors, had turned him well and truly feral. And every so often, the man would descend from the mountains to terrorize the residents of the town, wearing only a long black coat, with a pistol in his hand. McDowell may have been able to prey upon the town's residents during the early 1900s, but by the middle of the century, he will have been a much older man, and may not have even survived in the wilderness for such a considerable length of time. Perhaps it'll never be entirely certain what is to blame for the bizarre disappearances in the Bennington Triangle. Be it the weather, wild animals or a deranged serial killer, the area is without a doubt one of the most inexplicably dangerous places in the entirety of the United States for those who are unlucky enough to find themselves alone among the trees there. And it is truly chilling to think that these disappearances might never be solved, that the fates of those poor souls might be forever be kept a secret, hidden among the mountains and forests of the Green Mountain National Forest.